when I use the word reflection, many, some people find this <coughs> confusing. So that it's uh, using, you know, it's a, some people think of it as thinking, contemplating oftentimes in uh, in uh, Christian meditation is taking a subject and thinking about it. But like in contemplating the suffering of Christ or the stations of the cross, you you take particular station and contemplate it, think about it, reflect on it, but it's about something that happened to Jesus Christ. So in, in uh, when I use those words, I'm not pointing to some some uh, something to think about, but to use thought to observe the way it is. So like like the word Buddha, for example, we could uh, you know we we called Buddhists, there's a Buddhist monastery, and we, we uh, studied the Buddhist uh, history, his uh, life, and so forth, but that's not the way of liberation. So taking the word Buddha and reflecting on it in terms of here and now, so it's pointing to something, to that which is present, rather than to some kind of abstract, historical, fact or whatever. The same like with the condition and the unconditioned. Theoretically, there's the condition and the unconditioned. Conditions are easy because that's what, you know, we reflect on condition is what, when we use anicca and tukaranata, is uh, reflecting on all conditions are impermanent. All conditions are anatta, sape, sankara, anicca. Sape, tama, anatta. But then we reflect the unconditioned, and of course that if you if you're really reflecting, you're observing, you can't conceive it. You know, it's uh, impossible. You can imagine something unconditioned like uh, some kind of void or <coughs> blank, vacuum, something like that. But those are just the other words, aren't they? So it's not a matter of, of uh, believing in the unconditioned as some kind of mis- mystic, mystical experience that you haven't had yet. <coughs> but to reflect on it in terms of here and now. It's all about the present. This is a reflection, isn't it? It's kind of considering, and you're looking at the reality of this moment as you're experiencing it in, in whatever ways that, that you in particular are experiencing this moment. So then that puts, to me, when I do this, you know, and I've done this for many years, you, you know, the reality of the unconditioned is apparent, but it's not 
a thing or a condition, obviously, it's the unconditioned, but it is real. And that reality is through awareness, through this awakened, awakenness. Now when you think about it, then you, you, can, you can get caught in, in doubt, because it's not logical, it's not a kind of rational thing, it's an intuitive real reality. So this is where the, you're always trying to compare it to uh, scriptural authority or what others say. Uh, you end up never being quite sure. So it's a, this is where you have to trust in in your own in in the reality that you're experiencing. So if you get beyond the personal condition, like this the five khandhas identifying with them uh, on personal level when that breaks down you know so you're you're not uh, creating yourself and in, in coming from some kind of uh, assumed self-position but from but beginning to trust in the, in the pure awareness pure being pure presence but even if you don't understand what I'm talking about, or, or uh, it just sounds uh, too esoteric, whatever. <laughs> but this is what I'm trying to encourage you to take on faith in a way this teaching, and so you can kind of prove it or disprove it. And if you can disprove it, and you can tell me, also I'm quite open to to others. Uh, views and opinions, or ex- real realities. So in the stream entry, Sotapanna, this uh, seeing the path, or knowing the path, it's an intuitive knowing, it's not uh, knowing about the path, it's knowing, it's a kind of gut, <coughs> gut knowledge, it's, it comes from a profound realization rather than just, uh, you know, grasping the idea or understanding the, how to, you know, what the scriptures say about the path. And so it always has to be here and now, doesn't it? It's not, not a path that you, that you uh, have to find that you don't, it's not present here and now. So recognize that Pachubana Dhamma, this Pachubana is a Pali word for present, the here and now Dhamma or reality. It's all, this is, this is where, uh, you know, this is where you reflect always on the present. You don't speculate about the future. That you do on worldly level. You, you speculate, well, what will happen to me in the future? You know, when will I die? When will I... That speculation, isn't it? Guessing. But in uh, reflection, it's uh, it's uh, here and now. Dantitiko Dhamma. So, <coughs> you know, these Four Noble Truths are all about now, not, not about... And even we can see them as first you do the First Noble Truth, Second Noble Truth, Third Noble Truth, Fourth Noble Truth. 
that's the thinking mind, isn't it? Because you have to one, two, three, four. Thinking has to is linear, so it has to have one first, two seconds. Well, you can jumble them up: four first, and two, and three second. Whatever. That's not the point. The thing is that that in the reality, the pachubandham, and then it's it's not a matter of first this and then that. But in this awareness, awakenness in the present, and then we we through this investigation and reflection on the way it is, and using the four noble truths is a, an expedient means using dukkha, dhanha to to investigate present experience. So from this, you know, every mindful moment is the path. You know, whether you think you've attained the path or not, that's not the point. That is why if I go around thinking that I'm a sotapanna or or uh, or I'm not, and that's uh, those are that's coming from uh, personality view. So it's not not a title to assume, but to it's a it's a teaching to reflect on in terms of here and now the path or the fourth noble truth or the eightfold path now is what because it always to me it always comes back to the emptiness the stillness sound of silence so like the third noble truth is realizing cessation or the end of suffering <coughs> so we realizing, recognizing, uh, non-suffering is like this. So there's this discernment, isn't it? This panya operating. Suffering is like this. Non-suffering is like this. You can explore, reflect on on that reality. So, like suffering is uh, because we we usually don't notice non-suffering. Uh, suffering is the kind of first noble truth because it's we, we we tend to awaken to wake up when we're suffering. We don't want to suffer. How can we get out of suffering? How can I get rid of suffering? And non-suffering is is generally not uh, observed, not consciously appreciated. Usually, happiness. We you know we we're looking for happiness so that we won't suffer. But happiness is, uh, you know, is what it is, but it, it is, uh, it's not non-suffering. We just forget, and then and when, the, when the happiness is gone, then we usually revert back to some kind of obsession about ourselves, worries, attachments, fears, desires take over. The non-suffering is subtle. It's not, not like it's, uh, you know, blazingly rapturous. But to reflect on it, to say not to, to think of it as something remote, but some that, but natural here and now. So it, it's a matter of attachment and non-attachment to discern, to know the difference, what it's like to be attached, and what it 
like to be non-attached. So in the Sakya Ditti, the, the, thing, the attachments we have, I mean, the things that we hold about ourselves, we believe, we cling, we identify with the body, the emotions, memories, thoughts, views and opinions, the sense of me and mine. And then Sila Patabhamasa, the second fetter, is uh, translated usually as attachment to rites and rituals, but it's really attachment to conventions. So even attachment to the conventions is you notice how much suffering we create about being attached to conventions we have. So, for example, denial, the way we create suffering around that. And yet, at first, we, ha- we, we attach to it because it, and so attachment is the way you can learn a convention. You know, but then in the, in this case, you're not encouraged to to blindly attach and 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 uh, reinforce that sense of attachment, but to to really learn how to use something. You have to take it on, then and and use it, develop it so that it becomes something natural for you to do, not not something that is. Uh, but first, anything, uh, when we start playing a musical instrument or learning another language, it's all clumsy, isn't it? And difficult, seemingly impossible. And then as you keep practicing, you keep clinging in a way, holding to it, then it the becomes more spontaneous, more natural for us. And we can let it go when we no longer, uh, when, we, when we have learned what we need to learn. So it's not taking a, a kind of uh, attitude that you shouldn't cling to anything. That's very grand, that's very idealistic. But, but uh, to explore clinging to convention, like I noticed when I, being a Buddhist monk, the suffering I'd experienced out of being attached to somebody like Lumpur Cha. I get attached to the teacher and then and then, uh, then when somebody would uh, criticize or or uh, disparage Ajahn Chah and I feel very angry. So to me that was a sign of attachment. If I get angry I'm attached to something. <coughs> or to Theravada Buddhism, or to Thai forest tradition, or to uh, our way of doing things. I mean, we can, in uh, Western, I mean, we get our high horse and think we're going to, you know, our way is somehow the best. These are false signs of attachment when we you know, when we grasp any view or opinion, all these are very good in themselves, and they're not the conventions 
but the, it's the grasping that is the grasping out of ignorance, out of avicca, which is the silapata bhagamasa. So this is where honesty, you know, on your part, to be willing to, if you're suffering about something, you know, about relationships or position or your or hierarchies or any of these things that, that so many of you suffer from here, you know, you can try to, you know, they can always see that if it, if it were different, then I wouldn't be suffering, but that's not the case. Get to the root of it, you know, so that you begin to see what you're doing, how you're grasping an idea. <coughs> have the conservative orthodox view or the modern, you know, psychotherapeutic view or whatever, then, I mean, grasping either of these positions leads to some kind of suffering. So it doesn't mean that those are wrong or that we shouldn't, you know, we, we don't need convention, we don't need tradition, we don't need Vinaya, we don't need all these... Uh, religious forms. We don't need therapy. We don't need um, orthodoxy. Just old religions. We don't need that. And we, that's grasping another view. So reflect on the, the way it is right now. This is the, the tradition is the convention that, that we, that's uh, part of our life here. And it's like this, I'm a Buddhist monk on a conventional level. I'm a bhikkhu. This is this is the conventional form that I'm using. That is right now, on the present moment. This is this form is within that tradition of a Theravadan Buddhist monk. But then from there, I can. Recognize that's the way it is on a conventional level. Well, if I attach to the idea that I'm a Theravada Buddhist monk, begin to see the difference between the way it is, how to use convention without attaching to it, how to use a tradition without attaching to the tradition blindly, out of ignorance. So people ask me, you can be enlightened if you're a lay person. You don't need to be a Buddhist monk or nun. Well, I can't see why not. But in terms of my the reality that I'm experiencing, the convention is like this. Speaking from what I know directly rather than theoretically. So this gets back to the... To the uh, to trust in the awareness. This awareness transcends and embraces the personality and the convention. Conventions belong just like everything else. <laughs> That's what present belongs. Living the life as a bhikkhu all these years, it's like, like uh, just trusting in this reflectiveness uh, the 
you know, this life has been in many ways very wonderful, but also it's, it's, it's not, you know, in itself it's presented enormous uh, challenges on a personal level. So it's, uh, it's, it's more like, like a, it wasn't what I was expecting when I became a monk. <laughs> I was not expecting to, to be in this position at all. So, but this happened according to conditions. Let's say my, my natural, well, what I saw is my reason for joining the Sangha uh, when I first became a Buddhist monk in Thailand was well, I had this idea of a hermit. I used to be a graduate student in the in Asian Studies Department in the University of California and uh, before I went to live in Asia. So I, I was writing papers on, theses on uh, subjects, particularly uh, around cultural subjects and I was particularly interested in religion. So at the University of California, they if you're a graduate student, you get special uh, desk in the stacks. And so I had this desk up in the ninth tier of the stacks. And this was where all the books on religion were kept, or Asian religions. And this ninth tier is the highest tier in the stacks that had a skylight, so it was very light up there in the afternoon and this light pouring in and all these books plethora of books about Hinduism and Buddhism and so I uh, would uh, read these books and do papers, write papers on them and also I didn't understand very well any of it really <laughs> But I did have an intuitive sense for it. And I'd see, you know, these books on yoga with, with these yogis covered in ashes. I think, oh, I'd like to do that. To be a yogi and cover myself in ashes or, or hang upside down from a tree. I'd love to be able to do that. Go around naked with the ash covered in ashes and your hair all matted, and I thought, ooh. These things really appeal to me, they're kind of eccentric, eccentric things, uh, because they're in uh, <laughs> the life I was living in Berkeley was uh, not very skillful, <laughs> to say the least. So, <coughs> But this appeal to this sense of religious dedication, kind of giving your life to something worthwhile, total commitment. This is a kind of mindset that comes easily to me. So total commitment to some beautiful cause or ideal. But then becoming a Buddhist monk, uh, I was thinking more in terms of uh, like a rishi or a hermit. So that was the that was the kind of 
momentum, the 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 direction and the the the, the uh, aspiration, and then according to conditions, uh, I become the head of a community. We only had very little time as a rishi or a hermit. <coughs> So that that is, uh, and so during this time of being in in the midst of a community, it would bring up this longing. You know, every time things would go bad or things weren't going very well in the community, I'd, I want to go and live in a cave or be a hermit. So this was uh, this was the kind of mental state that would always come when, when, when uh, things got difficult in the community. But then using that as a reflection on suffering, you know, this is like being determined not to believe these kind of desires and views and opinions, but to actually determine to use everything that happens to you for the path. So, I kept contemplating this, this, the suffering of my attachment to the, to the idea of being a hermit, of living alone, of, of living, you know, more like a Zen monk or something, where you, this kind of writing haikus and more romantic images of what it's like, you know, where you're listening to the stream and the sound of the birds, and the world is, you know, the madness of the city is far away from you. But in terms of Pachubana Dhamma, then that's a suffering. I recognize every time things don't go well and I'm in a difficult position, I have to make difficult decisions or am being criticized then, then this, I want to go to my cave, this kind of wine would come. <laughs> I've had enough of this, I've done enough for the religion, I've, that kind of thing would come up. In the but then there was that willingness to reflect on that in terms of dukkha, of suffering, that, uh, you know, was the, even if I was being criticized and even if unfairly criticized, is the suffering caused by people who are criticizing me, or my, through my attachment to something, I'm creating suffering. So exploring that in the midst of the, these kind of conditions. <coughs> so on the worldly level, I could say uh, I'm suffering because uh, people criticize me and don't appreciate me and so forth. So that's how it seemed on a personal level. But on the on the on further investigation and an honest look at what was really the way it is, I could say I was attached, clinging to a desire for this not to be, not to be criticized that uh, on a personal level I'm very threatened by criticism. My personal habits, emotional habits, feel very threatened when people start 
criticizing me, of putting me down and disparaging me, I feel threatened and I get quite indignant, angry. I don't suppose any of you have this problem, just me. But I've noticed this in terms of, of uh, the suffering I create around the way it is. <coughs> There's a strong desire to believe. I mean, I found, uh, you know, like a part of me actually kind of liked to wallow in self-pity when things were, you know, weren't going very well. And, and then uh, part of me liked to, to think, um, you know, feel sorry for myself or feel indignant towards the people who I felt were responsible for my suffering. Indignation is quite a quite exciting emotion. How dare they? Who do they think they are? It's quite exciting emotion or to feel sorry for myself. Oh, you know, I've worked so hard and tried my best and given up so many things for the welfare of the community and all I get is a slap in the face. <laughs> a kind of a sick pleasure in, in feeling sorry for yourself. Uh, I mean, I've found it <laughs> and in, in, uh, in uh, being, and being indignant by the unfairness and the stupidity and lack of sensitivity of others. But in terms of cultivating the path and using this rather than, than uh, you know, uh, sustaining the, these delusions, Co the conventions of like Silapata Bahamasa is a, is in, as a fetter, it's the conventional world we live in and our attachment to it, which you know, this attachment is to be, you know, examined. And as I've said before, don't go around with some view you shouldn't be attached, but even if you're attached to a view you shouldn't be attached, be aware of that. Wake up with the way it is. So that you're, you're not coming from ideas again, but from the present, where you actually, attachment is like this. I'm really attached to this. I'm really attached to this tradition. And it's like this. You know, this, this uh, Theravada Buddhist, I'm very attached to it. And, and just notice the how upset one gets if it's criticized or somebody doesn't do what they should or puts it down or dismisses it or you know the Mahayanas say that it's just a Hinayana lesser vehicle and uh, one can get indignant that's the sign of attachment isn't it the indignation around it if one and so really explore that, what it's like, you know, to, to feel indignant and to be very, uh, you know, loyal, very loyal, very attached 
to a tradition, not to to despise this, but to just awaken to these these kind of things. Because sometimes we're we're attached to very good things, and so we think because they're very good that it's that we're doing the right thing by being attached to them. But we don't even realize we're attached. So this is where you reflect on when when you suffer. Somebody despises, disparages Dhammavati or something like that, and and then you get very angry and upset. You know you're attached to it. <laughs> or this is, and so that's something. That's a point to to investigate. Interesting that the holy. The, the idea of establishing the bhikkhuni order and to see all the, the indignation and that on both sides. Those that think they sh- we should reestablish it and those that think you, you shouldn't. It gets into to hot issues. And that's just an idea about whether we should start reestablish or shouldn't, or whether you can or you can't. Well, these become, you know, our kind of obsessions and suffering that we create through attachment to these ideas, to these obsessions. <coughs> the way we identify with our position in the Sangha here. You know, the way we attach to our particular place in the, in the hierarchical structure, we can feel quite strong about that. So it's not that these are wrong even, but just to use them to, to get to the root rather than endlessly try to sort it out on a conventional level. But to, you know, to develop the path, it doesn't, you don't need the convention to be perfect. It's how you use it, how you're willing to and wisely reflect on it. To get to the root, yoni so manasikara is the, the whole point of it. The root is always here and now, avicca, bhajaya, sankara, which leads to dukkha. But don't believe this, you know. Try it out, see what is this is this really true? It's up to you to prove it, or disprove it. <coughs> now I'm not trying trying to say we can't change anything or it's good enough the way it is. These are another views and opinions. But so I'm not, uh, you know, against change or reestablishing a bikuni or things like that. But it, to me, that's not the important thing. In the the important thing is the path, and 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 the and so that this is this is the this is the thing that I, that needs to be encouraged to trust in your in your own ability to know the path 
to cultivate this way. Because whatever happens, on the, you know, individually or collectively, uh, we can always use that, whether it's good fortune, bad fortune, success or failure. We, this does not preclude the path if we, if we really know and have confidence and trust in this path. Now, finally, for me, I've, I've uh, trust in this in this awareness uh, completely. Then I put it to a test over I mean, over thirty-five years or so. And I've had a lot of uh, experience and events and conditions both pleasant and painful to to reflect on and then the the personality I have tends to be a skeptical one I'm basically uh, a, a skeptic I tend towards suspicion and uh, doubt so I mean this is this is a character trait. I'm not, I'm not a kind of highly devoted type. Uh, so the uh, this is one one of the reasons that drew me to Buddhism was that uh, this is allowed. You know, you can doubt, question, examine, investigate. And so this is, in this very path, then, is, is reflecting, investigating, getting to the root, the cause of suffering, and really exploring it, examining, you know, really feeling it, willing to, to allow suffering to exist in your conscious, in this conscious moment, allowing things to be the way they are, means that, you know, that's, uh, <coughs> it's not like um, some kind of aloof position I've taken and, and, and I just don't feel anything anymore because I'm so mindful. Uh, and so I'm very much detached from the world and see it from this very kind of special, privileged way of seen it all in terms of it's all a bit mad and silly and I'm no longer attached to it anymore. Oh hum. <laughs> and theater in that style is very much involved in it, isn't it? Willing to throw yourself right into the midst of it. Get right in the nitty gritty, the right into the battlefield put myself right into the positions that embarrass me and threaten me. Rather than hold my position, I'm Arjun Samedo and I'm above it all. I'm on the high seat. So, you know, I'm senior and I'm thinking of myself as kind of an advanced spiritual master or something. Is, uh, doesn't, doesn't hold. Isn't what, what I how I see things. 
just the effect of meditation has actually given me the courage to throw myself into the thick of it. So instead of becoming a, a remote hermit that sits and contemplates the sound of the wind, you know, I like to do that, yet the, uh, the strange effect of this practice has given me a kind of courage to to participate and fully engage in this community. <coughs> so these, these are three fetters. Just notice the Sakyaditi, Slipatabhamasa, Richikicha, doubt. This is all through attachment to the form, to the condition, to ideas, to conventions, to five khandas out of ignorance then we and this is how we condition this is our social and cultural conditioning isn't it my cultural condition is all about being attached to views and opinions you know American culture is very opinionated that's brought up to be very opinionated <coughs> and brought up is a in a Christian family, to be very opinionated about that also. <laughs> I mean, the whole basis of my culture, you know, is, is, is holding to views, rites, rituals, views, ideals. And so, coming into Buddhism, that tended to be how I related to the conventions of Buddhism, too, was through the conditioning of my cultural. That's all I knew. I didn't know how to not do that until I started awakening to the suffering of attachment. Upa, uh, kita, for example, is, you know, when you think you doubt, you know, people that think all the time are constantly kind of uncertain, insecure. They speculate and guess. And that, because that's how thinking is such a, it's a tool, you know, and it end in itself, it's totally unsatisfactory. And you can see it just becomes obsessive and, and, uh, and irritating. You just, I used to get so, you know, wanting my mind to shut up wish it could turn it off, switch it off, you know, so it wouldn't go around thinking anymore. So fed up with the way I thought, and the kind of boredom, and the way it kept repeating itself, the same obsessions over and over again. And then endless doubts would arise, you know, about this, about that, about myself, about the convention, about the benign, about everything about the future, about the past. <laughs> so this very doubting tendency yeah, I used as a skillful means. The exploration of doubt, the examination, not through thought, but through reflection. Doubting, uncertainty, insecurity is like this feeling insecure, unsure, 
uncertain is like this. So then, is this this reflection? This is a reflective way of thinking. Is it's like this? So this, when this is the condition present, I'm using it. I'm embracing it. I'm really interested in doubting. I'm not trying to get rid of it, but to understand it, to know it, to really uh, learn from it. So this, uh, this is uh, this, this, this. If you do this, then you begin to to get. You begin to see. You recognize non-thinking more and more. Like I notice the sound of silence. The, stops thinking. Or ask yourself a question. Who am I? And then the, there's a gap. No thought. So you're noticing, paying attention to when there's no thought. And no thinking is like this. So that conscious, through consciousness, there's awareness of thought and non-thought. So using the when I first uh, started using Sound of Silence, I, I was so joyful because I discovered an expedient means to stop thinking. Because I was such a, such a uh, obsessed thinker. You know, meditation was used to be torture. You sit down and think, 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 think. And they had this cartoon in, one of, in the inquiring mind years ago, this three, three kind of pictures of one, the person, this kind of outline of a yogi sitting down, you know, just the, the outline, then it, the next one would be think, 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 and then the third one would be think, 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 think. You know, where the word think would <laughs> to get to the root. 
And what's left when the condition is gone, was ceased, is this stillness, abiding stillness, which I regard as the unconditioned in terms of my own insight and experience. So when it becomes apparent this, the path is like this, more, this, this trusting in this emptiness, in this stillness. And when I find myself getting caught up, now I go back into the stillness, just gently training, not, not making it into a cause celebre, a big kind of big deal for my life, but it's more like an attitude of gentle training, of encouraging rather than of of kind of willful uh, forcing the, the myself to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs>